0: Welcome to Crime on Caffeine. and I'm your host, Erica. And I'm your host, Allison. Thank you so much for tuning in. We just wanted to say a quick thank you before we get into this episode. Thank you so much to everybody who's been listening and supporting us and leaving reviews and ratings and everything on Spotify, Apple. You can't leave a review on Spotify. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, but thank you for your support. Um, keep subscribing, following. It's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> oh. I've never done this. Today we be sipping on. A. Hey. We are drinking our current favorite again. It's the Rise Mushroom Coffee. I love this stuff. I was so pumped last episode. I was like shook. I
1: could not believe that this was mushroom
0: blend I know Coffee. it was so good it gave me so much energy though I loved it and not like energy like oh two hours yeah like not later, the jittery kind. Like, shit. like, no I felt good not like my Starbucks venti and <laughs> espressos that I'm like He-he. no but it was really good so um if you guys want to get your hands on some you can go to rise r y z e superfoods.com and use the code c o c 15 for 15 percent off your first purchase I'm going to be doing things a little differently today. I have a case that I didn't tell Allison what it was. I know. She, like, even titled the document just untitled. (laughs) So I
1: didn't go in it because I was going to snoop. No. But I really want to be surprised.
0: Yeah. This is a wild one. (laughs) I feel like we always say bonkers. This is bonkers. (laughs) No, this isn't bonkers. This is wild. This is actually, like, weird. You're going to be weird. I don't know. I'm excited. (laughs) Okay, so...
1: You're making me excited because you're so excited. <laughs> and I don't know what to do. I have a lot of
0: energy. It's this I coffee.
1: <laughs> freaking hype over here.
0: So, this is the case of Daniel La- LaPlante. La Laplante? LaPlante? Okay. It's probably LaPlante. So LeBlanc. I feel really fancy when I say that. This case, there, there's not a whole lot of sources out there. Most of the information is like his early teen years, but he was born on May 16th in 1970 in Townsend, Massachusetts. In his early teenage years, he lived with his mom and his stepfather. Their names were Elaine and David Moore, and then he had two brothers, Stephen and Matthew. So he had a pretty traumatic upbringing. Um, he was abused physically, sexually, and psychologically by both his biological father and his stepfather. He had some things going on. He also struggled a lot in school. He had dyslexia, and he had no help for it. Like, he didn't have any support in the school for it. That's so so sad. Yeah, so as you can imagine, he did poorly. He also didn't have a lot of friends. He came to school really dirty, like, dirty clothes. Didn't shower really... Stinky and greasy and people said he was like creepy and weird, so nobody wanted to be around him. Oh, this is like um, really keying up to be something. Oh these yeah, you have got like these are clear cocktails. I'm like over here just yep. thinking of all mm-hmm. the things. So the school recommended he see a psychiatrist and so they diagnosed him with hyperactivity disorder, which I think back then this was like ADHD, but back then they didn't know enough about it and it wasn't diagnosed a lot, so they just called it hyperactivity disorder. So that psychiatrist also began to sexually abuse him for over a year this one on. You are kidding me. No, yeah. Oh my so. god. I'm like feel bad for him right now. Right now. Yeah. No, that okay, I, yeah. I mentioned the right now yeah, for a okay. reason. Yeah. Okay. We can feel bad for him right now. I mean, honestly, not even right now because really because I'll, I'll get into this right now, actually. So okay. he stopped treatment. So as you can imagine, he was even more fucked up than he was before he started the treatment. Yeah. And so this is why I don't feel bad for him right now, because around this time, he started breaking into houses. And he wasn't breaking into the houses to, like, steal things. It was more the thrill of them not knowing he was there, and he just wanted to freak people out. He would, like, move furniture around, move different items around, leave random things out. He would drink A beverage that they had like a can of soda or something and then he would leave it out half drink or whatever and he loved that he was like scaring people and freaking them out he was playing like mind games with them so he loved having like that power and control it was nothing about wanting to steal anything there was no financial motivation or anything like that it was literally just to be weird yeah to be weird pretty much oh i don't like that yeah so he was 15 at this time so the next year 1986 he took things to the next level What is the next level? Just let me, you just gotta wait. Okay, okay. All right, so we're gonna step away from him for a second. We're gonna talk about a family that also lived in Massachusetts. It was a different town. Pepperell? Pepperell? Pepperell. So a man named Brian Andrews, he lived with his two daughters, Annie. She was 15 and Jessica was eight. Uh, The mother, Brian's wife, recently passed away due to cancer. She's really sad. So he was a single parent now. He had to work a lot. So the girls are often home alone. Even though they were seven years apart, they got along really well and they got a lot closer after their mom died. And so at this point,
1: the fuck happened
0: there? Um, (laughs) So at this point, like I said, Annie was 15, so she was starting to like you know, get into boys and dating. She began talking to this guy on the phone. He said his name was Danny. He said he got her number from a friend at school because they went to different schools. This was a lie. Obviously, I'm talking about Daniel. Laplante. 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 So he described himself as being tall, blonde, athletic, smart. They were talking on the phone pretty regularly. Oh my God, he was catfishing her. He was He was, cat, he was catfishing before cat. He was the OG catfish. He needed Neve. Neve. Mm. Neve? Neve. 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 Yeah, he said all those things. Uh, they were talking on the phone pretty regularly for about a week, and then he asked her on a date, and she was, like, really into it. They had good conversations, so she agreed, and they were gonna go to the fair. Him saying that he got her number from a friend at school was a lie. It's actually believed that he had broken into their home before, and he became super obsessed with her, and did some digging, found out her phone number and everything. What the hell? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't, this just like skeevy. So she was really excited for the date and the night of the date she opened the door and there was Danny, Her (laughs) not athletic, not tall, not blonde. (laughs) Yeah, no, she was really surprised um, because the guy standing in front of her was about 5'8". He was really skinny. He had dark, greasy hair, thick, dark eyebrows, lots of acne everywhere. But she was super nice so she wasn't about to be like uh... But I would have, not even in like a mean way, I would have felt weird for safety reasons. I would have yeah. been like, I lied prob- about who you were. I would have probably just been like
1: confused and I would have yeah. just straight up said, are you the person who's been talking to me? Like, yeah. this is not who
0: you said you were. Yeah, so she tried to play cool and she just decided to go on the date, but she was getting super bad vibes. Not sure why you'd still go, but... <laughs> so she brought up that her mother had recently passed away from cancer So, like, any normal person would just say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, you know, be respectful. Not Danny. I guess, like, his eyes lit up, and he just started asking a million questions about her passing. And not normal questions, like, what kind of cancer? How old was she? Like, blah, blah. blah. It was weird questions. How badly did she suffer? Like, weird-ass things. Like, he was fascinated Uh, by it. no. Mm -mm. Yeah. So, she was like, what the fuck? She was super uncomfortable, and after them being on a date for an hour she decided to call it quits and she straight up said she had to go and she just dipped and you know she was hoping he got the hint by this that she didn't want to talk to him anymore I mean a normal person probably would get that hint but I have a feeling that he no doesn't pick up on social cues enough probably because he didn't have enough socialization and it's doesn't seem like the type of person who handle rejection. So a few days later Annie and her sister, they were talking about their mom and like reminiscing on all the good memories. They were home alone obviously because Brian was at work. They were super bored so they were they were just like, fuck it, let's have a seance. A seance? <laughs> a seance. Oh, they I- were like joking around, you know, they went in the basement, they lit some candles, they held hands, they sang songs, just whatever they thought you were supposed to do. Like They just needed a sh- distraction or something to do while they were home alone. Uh, and then their dad came home, so they stopped, and they went to bed, whatever. And so that night when they went to bed, they kept on hearing, like, tapping noises, and they were like, oh, my God, did it work? Is that Ramon? They are freaking out. They were like, holy they shit. They thought that, that it was the seance. Yeah. Oh. So eventually, the tapping became, like, a constant thing, and it only happened when they were home alone or, like, in the middle of the night when they were all sleeping, and it got to the point where they were losing sleep over it because it was so loud and so annoying. And some weird shit started to go down in the house. Different objects started moving around. Like, one of the girls was making food and walked away, and the food would be gone. Like, weird things like that. I guess they didn't really think anything of it. I don't know. Not paying attention, whatever. They told their dad, like, about the tapping and everything, and they thought it was a ghost. You know, they did the seance, and the dad is just, no, I think you're imagining it. You're just grieving over the loss of your mother. Like, so there was another night they were home alone, and the tapping started, but this time it sounded like it was coming from the basement. And so, Annie gets a knife, and the two girls walk downstairs, which, have you guys not seen one scary movie in your life, because... You don't go downstairs? No, you don't go downstairs, and not with a 15-year-old and an 8-year-old. I I don't know. So, they go downstairs, and on the wall of the basement was a message that looked like it was written in blood, and it said, I'm in your room, come and find me. You're kidding me. Mm-mm. So they immediately ran upstairs and went to a neighbor's house and explained what happened, and the neighbor let them stay there until their dad came home from work. And so at this point, Brian was still not convinced that and he thought the girls were just playing some sort of game, like, playing pranks. Did he not see it? Well, because it... They, he looked at it and it turned out that it wasn't blood it was ketchup so he thought that the girls were just like playing a prank on them that they were doing this for attention because he was never home so they like wanted him to come home oh, you know Okay. so he thought they were just kids being kids So I mean that's a little extreme for kids being kids yeah. I mean,
1: you can come up with some stories but there's he's not gonna sit there and be like oh yeah maybe it is a ghost like you know yeah no I don't think he would believe that it's a ghost Yeah. But.
0: he was like okay maybe they should start seeing a therapist which i that's their mom just passed. I think that was a good idea. So, it had been a couple of weeks since that message, they saw that message, and the tapping kind of stopped. So, this was January of 1987. And then one night, the girls were home alone and it started again. And this time, it was coming from Annie's room. So, once again, for some reason, she grabbed a knife, and the two girls went up to her room. And there was another message on the wall, like still written in what looked like blood. And it said, I'm back. Find me if you can. It's like a hide-and-seek game. I know. They screamed, immediately ran out to the neighbor's house again, told them what happened, and this time the neighbor let them call their dad to explain what had been going on. And he was annoyed because he, once again, thought they were just making it up and doing it themselves, but this time he agreed to come home. He went inside. He went right upstairs. There was another message written that the girls didn't tell him about on the phone. So he realized that it had been written while they were at the neighbor's then because they didn't even know about it. And it said, marry me. Marry me? Yeah. That went, like, a whole different route. A whole different direction there. Uh, I'm here in your
1: house. Go upstairs. Try to find me. Marry me. also,
0: please marry me. <laughs> Some reports said that, like, the TV was on and it was turned on at max volume, too, which they didn't do. The TV wasn't on. So, that ghost. Why max volume? TV? Huh? Hard of hearing? Hard of hearing ghost. Uh, so this is where Brian was like, okay, yeah, they're not making shit up. So he turned to see on the other side of the room. Are you ready? Daniel dressed up in Brian's dead wife's clothing with makeup and a blonde wig. Um, some reports say that he was wearing her wedding dress, but this is unconfirmed. And he was also holding a hatchet. I, I wish you guys could see her face right now. Just you wait. Just hold on
1: to your... Oh, no, I'm not holding on hold to, to your, speak about this. on to your... And I'm not ready, but I mean, (laughs) what the actual fuck is that? (laughs) (laughs) Trying to see if I'm seeing
0: things correctly. I'm wiping my eyes. I I think he was too. (laughs) So this part's kind of fuzzy, but uh, I guess there had been some kind of struggle between the two of them. And somehow Daniel was able to escape. And Ryan was like, what the fuck? How was he able to just get away? Like, he didn't understand how it happened. So he called the police and they came and did a thorough search of the home. And one officer found a hidden crawl space behind a chest of drawers in Annie's room that was built into her walls. And when he opened the hatch, there was Daniel hiding in the freaking walls. He was in the wall. He was in the walls of their house. I have to go. I need to leave. What is happening? Mm -hmm. Some reports said that he'd been hiding for like uh, several days, a couple weeks. Some said months um, because it had been two months at this point since his date and... I mean, I know the tapping started and stopped and then started again, but he was definitely doing a lot while he was there because they found garbage in there. They found a sleeping bag. So he was sleeping there. They found beer cans, food wrappers, clothing, and there were things that belonged to the family that they were missing. And so the crawl space led to a passageway that wrapped all the way around the house. So he had access to any room so he could knock on the walls anywhere in the house. He also made peepholes in the walls of every room so that he could always see Annie. So, people, this is why you lock your doors when you leave your fucking house. Wow. So, he had access to every single room. Every single room. Even when she was in the shower and stuff. Oh, that's good. And he made peepholes so he could literally see everything she was doing. Lock your freaking doors. Alarm systems, people. Like yeah. Like, safety. No, I don't fuck with that. Anyone can go in your house at any moment and do any kind of shit. They can put things anywhere. He was literally trying to make the girls think that he was their dead mother. He wanted to fuck with them that badly. And it's reported that's why he was dressed that way. Like, he was going to come out and surprise or attack them, Just why he had the hatchet. So they were definitely all really lucky that night because clearly he was... Probably going to go out and try to kill them. So he was arrested. He was placed in juvenile detention because at the time he was only 16 and he was there for 10 months. Um, He turned 17 at this time. And then in October, his case was transferred to adult court because he was being charged as an adult. This meant that he could post bail which his mother did for him, so he was free to leave. He had been charged with four counts of kidnapping, four counts of armed assault in a dwelling, breaking, entering a dwelling, larceny of more than $100, and malicious destruction of property. And he was due in uh, the Supreme Court on December 11th. Instead, in November, he broke into a neighbor's home and he sold two handguns. And then the afternoon of December 1st, he walked about a half a mile from his home armed with one of the handguns. He entered a home that belonged to the Gustafsson family. So this was 33-year-old Priscilla and her 34-year-old husband, Andrew. And they had two kids, Abigail, who was seven, and then William, who was five. And Priscilla was expecting their third child. She was pregnant. She was a church nursery school teacher who everyone said was so sweet and caring. She sang in the church choir. She was super dedicated to her faith. They just seemed like a like a really nice, like really great family. When Daniel entered the home, he found Priscilla and William chilling, watching TV. Abigail had been walking home from the bus stop, so she was, like, on her way back, and Andrew was working. He was an attorney. Trigger warning, just because there are children involved and there's rape. Just want to give a little trigger warning. If you don't want to listen to this part, you can skip ahead. Kind of fuzzy how everything went down, but sources said that he forced Priscilla into her bedroom uh, where he beat and raped her, and then he shot her twice with a pillow over her head to drown out the sound and then he drowned William in the upstairs bathtub and then when Abigail got home he drowned her in the downstairs bathroom. So Andrew returned home and he found Priscilla face down on the bed in a pool of blood with the pillow covering her face and he immediately called the police because he did not want to be the one who found the children. So the police arrived at the home and they found the bodies of the two children in the parents bedroom. They discovered two bullet casings, An open, full can of beer and semen stains on the bed. They also found shoe prints in the flower bed outside which they determined to be from a pair of men's Converse size 11 or 12. There was a cable TV box and cordless phone that were also missing, and it turns out that he took these when he burglarized their house a couple weeks prior on November 16th, because, like I said, um, when he got out of jail, he posted bail, he went right back to breaking into homes. Learned nothing in those 10 months. Detectives made a list of possible suspects, which included Daniel just due to his past crimes. So the next day, they found him chilling at the public library. They started questioning him. He said that he had nothing to do with the murders, and the day that they happened, he was just watching TV at home, and he went to his six-year-old niece's birthday party. So they had no solid evidence linking him to the case. And then later that day, they went to his house to question him more. And this time, he bolted. Yeah, he ran for the woods, so... So he, like, started panicking a little bit, you think? Yeah, I think he was unraveling quite a bit, and... You'll see, that's very apparent. This clearly made him look very guilty, so the officers uh, got a warrant to search his home, and they found some incriminating evidence, and they also searched the woods that... The woods, like, separated his home from the Gustafsons' home. Like I said, it was, like, half a mile away. They found one of Daniel's shirts, like, the one that he'd been wearing the day of the murder, and they also found, like, a wet pair of gloves, which... They presumed were from when he drowned the kids. So there was a huge manhunt to try and find him with helicopters, dogs, and there were about 50 state and local police. So at this point, Daniel was now like a few towns over and he broke into a woman's home and held her at gunpoint and he abducted her and he forced her to drive him around in her Volkswagen Van and she ended up escaping somehow. And then, like a bunch of people spotted Daniel, and just recognized him from his photo being out everywhere. Um, and after the woman escaped, she called police to tell him what happened and was like, "Yo, he's driving around my van. If you see it, it's <laughs> <laughs> that guy. He got my car. I need that back." And then on the evening of December third, which is two days after that manhunt began, they found him hiding in a dumpster. Um, it was about eleven miles away from Townsend, which is where he lived. So he was arrested, and when he was arrested, he was just laughing hysterically. And the cops were like, what the fuck? That's some, like, joker shit. Yeah. Ew. So they searched his person, and they found a gun in his underwear. He was charged with three counts of first-degree murder. Uh, There were a few other charges. The thing that surprised me was not being charged with the murder of that unborn baby. They didn't say anything about that.
1: Oh. Yeah.
0: But I think he was already going to jail for life I don't think they needed
1: yeah I was about to say
0: (laughs) I don't think they needed much more yeah so they had a lot of evidence against him they found those shell casings like I said and they found that the bullets he actually obtained from his brother and he told him that he wanted to make a large bullet and sell it so they gave him the bullets So they also found that he was a type A secretor. A secretor is someone who has like blood in any type of like bodily fluid. This could be, this could literally be like saliva. I'm
1: going to throw Okay. I know, I know.
0: Like 80% of the world are secretors. So like there's blood in his semen. So that's how they were kind of able to match. Oh, he has type A blood in his semen. The semen found at the scene that was type A blood.
1: I literally never want to hear the word secreter again (laughs) in my life. I know, it's a gross word.
0: (sighs) (laughs) On the shirt that they found in the woods, there were a bunch of different fibers that they found. Everything that he was wearing that day, they found fibers on a belt that was found with the murder weapon, which they didn't even end up finding until April. Like his brother found it. They found it in the house. There were fibers on that, um, and then in various parts of the home, there were fibers, and they, like I said, the brother and the stepfather found the murder weapon. There was, like, an abandoned Jeep Cherokee at their house. Like, nobody drove it, and they found it in there. They also found those Converse in his closet, because remember I said they found the shoe prints that they believed were men's size 11 or 12 converse so they also found socks with like saliva on them so they presumed that this was what he used to like gag priscilla they also found fibers with abigail's dna in one of his socks and dogs followed the scent from the gustafson home to the Plante home so they had stacks of evidence against this guy that's
1: i mean dude
0: you're funked yeah so the trial began in October of '88, and he pled not guilty. So he was now 18; he was an adult. And before the trial started, he underwent like a psychological evaluation. He was deemed fit to stand trial. So they said he's not crazy; he knew what he was doing. Oh yeah, he 100. He 100 knew, knew what he was doing, he was doing because yeah. he ran. And even though he was a minor when he committed the crimes, he was still charged as an adult just due to the severity and the heinousness. So they had close to fifty witnesses, and like a lot of the witnesses were his family. They had a pretty solid case against him, and it didn't help that he came off as very unlikable during the trial. <laughs> no, you <laughs> don't say. He showed no remorse at all and he was like smirking the whole time. There's actually like a really creepy picture. We're gonna put it on the website. I wanna I wanna show you this picture right now, cause this is uh, it's I really don't I wanna see. No, it. I wanna show you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Wait, I'm so grossed out by him.
0: Yeah, no, he's gross. Wait, uh, he's really oh, gross. Oh, no. He, he was really gross when he was younger, too. He's just gross individual overall. He's disgusting. Inside and out. Why is he smirking like that? Because he, s- he loves it. He loves that he did this. He's sick. He's sick in the head. Yeah. So the judge, the jury, the lawyers, like, even his own lawyers, they all claimed they got, like, bad vibes from him. Um, bad vibes. bad vibes. So, the defense's argument was really shaky. Like, I don't know how you would know. So, they claimed all the evidence was circumstantial and that it could have been anyone in the La Plante home. Yeah, I, the other members of the family all had solid alibis. It's you, buddy. It's you. He I also, I not know how, like, as the defense, how, like, how I would. <laughs> I know. They were probably like, oh, we're fucked. Let's just try this. Yeah, it, it was not him. No. It was another one. And, I mean, you know, when it comes to cases like this, they're like when you know the person did it. The defense isn't there to try and get them off. The defense is there to lessen the penalty. The penalty lessen the punishment. Um, he also tried to use Daniel's childhood as a means of justifying or mitigating his offenses. It's not his fault. He was abused. No, it's still his yeah, fault. No, plenty of people have been abused and they don't murder people or hide in people's walls. Hiding in people's walls. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> so, after five hours, uh, he was found guilty on all charges and he was sentenced a three life sentence to be served consecutively. So, at first, he was, like, a really good prisoner. He got the, whatever, the GED or whatever. I, I think that's what you'll get if you're in prison, but, like, the high school equivalent. And then, um, he took college courses. He was super involved in group activities. And then things just took a turn. So, in 1993, He appealed to sentencing on the grounds that the search warrants for his home should not have been granted. I don't know why he thought that, but it was denied. From this time up until 2014, he spent years trying to sue the courts multiple times for violating his rights. Yeah, so this was like when he turned into the not ideal prisoner. Um, In one (laughs) argument in 2013, he claimed they were violating his religious rights by not allowing him the proper materials to perform satanic rituals. Oh, I'll tell you what they weren't giving him. He needed ritual oils, and these oils were dragon's blood, black opium, honeysuckle, and and carrot cake. And carrot cake. And carrot cake. And carrot cake. Oh, the devil likes carrot cake. (laughs)
1: Cute. (laughs) He was hungry. He he just didn't want to say it.
0: So, yeah. uh, In 2000, he requested that he should be moved because safety was at risk. He was receiving several threats, which doesn't surprise me because he killed some kids. And he killed a pregnant woman. And people in prison don't fuck with that. They granted this. And he was allowed to be separated. And because of this, he no longer had access to the library. Uh, that's just one of the privileges that you lose. And he sued again because he was like, fuck that. I should be allowed access. And he was granted $450 for his rights being denied. Yeah. I don't really know what you do with that in prison. Like how at camp you did, like, Yes, canteen. yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that does me think of Oklahoma Girl Scouts again, yeah,
1: though. flashbacks so <laughs> of Oklahoma Girl Scout murders.
0: So, yeah, he was wild now. Uh, he also caused a huge scene when his mail was confiscated because it contained porn, which you can't have in prison. It's contraband, so they had every right to take it away from him but he was freaking out so now in 2017 he was 46 years old and he appealed for a reduced sentence after the supreme court made a decision that minors cannot be sentenced to life without parole and so he was like well you did that to me so at this point, he'd been in prison for 30 years, and he wanted his sentence changed from um, serving his sentences consecutively, so like one life sentence after another, to just serving them concurrently. So it would just be like all of them at the same time, so it's like technically serving one life sentence. This would have made him eligible for parole way sooner. He was supposed to be eligible in 2032, but this would have made him eligible like right, right then. then. Yeah. So the following year, he was actually diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, which made sense because I guess there were reports in childhood of him being diagnosed with conduct disorder which so conduct disorder doesn't automatically cause antisocial personality disorder they have a lot of the same characteristics characteristics. yeah so they have a lot of the same characteristics like conduct disorder involves a lot of antisocial behaviors but you can't be diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder until you're 18 conduct disorder is a huge predictor of antisocial personality disorder got it people who have that often had conduct disorder in their childhood once again not saying just because you have conduct disorder doesn't mean you're going to grow up and be antisocial, psychopath, whatever. And a lot of people with antisocial personality disorder don't even kill people, so they're just you know. antisocial. This is just him. The Gustafson family and the prosecution were like, "Fuck no, he cannot get out on parole." They said it felt like they were reliving the murders all over again and the mental health professional testified that he was not remorseful at all and he literally had no emotions which you know antisocial makes sense this is what he wrote so he said i do not have words to fully express my profound sorrow but i am truly sorry for the harm that i've caused from the very essence of who i am from the depths of my soul i'm sorry which i'm gonna say right now i don't think your soul is very very deep (laughs) It's not much. I don't. I don't know where he's saying this is coming from, but everybody in attendance said it felt shallow and insincere. So his request was denied, and he was resentenced with his original sentence. So once again, in 2032, you're eligible for parole. The Supreme Court judge. That was on this case said, This case does not involve a single act that resulted in three deaths. Mr. LaPlante committed three distinct and brutal murders. He killed a 33 year old pregnant mother and her five and seven year old children. He left a family and community devastated. The court finds that the maximum penalty is warranted. Andrew ended up having, like, not a happy ending, but he moved on and good things happened to him. He ended up marrying a woman named Carol and she was also a widow. So they both wore, like, two wedding rings. I. I was happy for him. You know, that That's was good. cute that they did that. Though. Yeah. And they had two daughters, Holly and Laura, and he actually left his practice to work for the state as a child advocate for 12 years. Um, and then he went on to work for the Massachusetts Conference of the United Church of Christ. Unfortunately, he died of cancer in 2014. He was 60 years old. He moved on, so yeah, it was he, good. He got to be happy. happier yeah. in the end. You know, he went through it, though. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, I mean, he said that as time progressed that he didn't think about it as much but he said he could never forgive he would never get over it you know i literally could not even fathom i
1: know he came home one day and his Mm -hmm. whole life was like just gone yeah and that guy was
0: like smirking in a courtroom about it i know so fucked like imagine just sitting in the courtroom and having to see that i would lose my shit i'd fight him right freaking there but he didn't interview. He said he didn't think about Daniel often, didn't know if he could ever forgive him. He said as far as I've come, I don't think I've come far enough to deal with that. I've still got miles, more miles to go in my journey. That's where we're at. You know, he's chilling, eligible for parole in 2032, but he's a piece of shit, so I doubt anything will come of that, and I really hope it doesn't. We're going to go into the psychology and the MO a little bit. Like I said, there isn't a lot out there on this case. It's kind of clear. You know, what <laughs> What, what caused down? these things? I mean, all of these people who were, like, authority figures that he trusted abused him, and he had no control over his life, and he liked having this aspect of control when he went into these people's homes. A source says that his exact M.O. in this murder remains unknown, given that his actions progressed rapidly from burglary to full-scale murder when he was in possession of a weapon, suggests that he didn't possess the confidence or physical strength to subdue his victims by hand, which I definitely believe. I don't think he was confident at all and that was the only way that he would have that power yeah that he it was very clear he even told
1: the girl i'm this tall athletic mm-hmm. blonde guy like he's he wouldn't have said that if he was confident
0: in himself no oh 100 in addition a handful of items which double as restraints were found in the gustafson household which prompts the theory that he forced his way into the residence and held them at gunpoint while he restrained them and he likely killed the mom first because she was the biggest threat and then he drawn the children one by one. So I was actually listening to a podcast where they do like a whole psychological evaluation. It's called True Crime, Psychology, and Personality. The episode was really short and I didn't think that they got into it as much as I thought they would. But this is where they talked about how he had conduct disorder when he was young and it wasn't treated and how as this is... As he got older, he was highly impulsive. He's fucked. Yeah, he's (laughs) fucked. I don't know. I just think he. nobody gave a fuck about him. All the people that he trusted abused him. So why would he give a shit about anybody else in the world? Yeah.
1: At the beginning, you hear all the things about his childhood and how he did in school.
0: I mean, immediately my head was like... You know where this is going. Uh Oh. Someone's going to go down.
1: You would think that people would try to like prevent this kind of situation. And the fact that they... Put him in therapy or had him see a psychologist at some point. That was a good step if that person didn't turn out to be just terrible,
0: you know? Well, and it wasn't even his parents' idea to have him see the psychiatrist. The schools recommended it. Which is weird because he was dyslexic and you guys didn't do anything. Yeah, you would think that that would have helped with that, too. So he didn't feel like such an idiot. Then again, it was the 70s, so who knows what the fuck they did. Yeah. (laughs) If anybody's listening out there that knows... Let me know, because... Yeah, like, if you <laughs> went to school in the 70s and mom were dyslexic... <laughs> oh, no, no I don't <laughs> think my mom is dyslexic.
1: <laughs> I don't think so. But
0: schools have always tried to help people, you know? So that was Daniel LaPlante. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. A little, a little different than what I normally do, but... My next episode will be back to my, my niche. Niche? Niche, I don't know. <laughs> we'll get back to those missing persons. I know, you You came for my wig on that mm-hmm. one with the
1: murderers. Mm-hmm.
0: So the next episode, you guys are going to hear from Allison, and I'm excited for this one. It's a really fucked up case. I'm not excited. I will tell I you that right now. I don't want to cover this. This was one of the crazier ones. I remember turning around at work and being like, Allison? And then of course I listened to it and then I had to like stop listening
1: to true crime for like a month. I was like, (laughs) I'm not going back into that community. I'm not going.
0: Yeah. So that'll be a good one. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, don't forget to subscribe. If you go to our website and you subscribe at the bottom, you will get notified every time we have an episode come out. Yeah. If you're Mm -hmm. subscribed on
1: Apple or Spotify, you'll also be notified every time a podcast
0: episode comes out please go to apple and (laughs) sorry that was really aggressive Uh, please go to apple and leave us a review or rate us five stars that would be awesome and if you guys want to follow us on social media all of our handles are crime on caffeine thank you for listening can't wait for you to tune in next week